Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. We're going to pick up in verse 18 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. And I want to entitle this, Beware of Self-Deception. Beware of Self-Deception. You know, when one is asked how tall he is, he can immediately respond. You know why? Because there's a standard by which he can measure himself. When I was growing up, and I was little once. Some people don't believe I was ever little, but I was little once. When I was growing up, I, stayed in, I lived in the same house all the way till I finished high school and really on through college. My mother was just wonderful. She's in heaven today as my father is. And there on the door frame of our kitchen, she used to measure me. She had, a, she had it already marked off in feet all the way up to the very top. And she would measure with a little notch every and write down on it how old I was and when I was measured. And so all the way through growing up, I knew exactly how tall I was. I've shrunk some. I don't know what happens to you when you get over 50, but something's happening. My feet are getting bigger. <laughs> and I'm shrinking. But I knew exactly how tall that I was. There was a standard by which I could be measured. But when you ask somebody how beautiful or how handsome they are, that becomes a matter of one's opinion. By whose standard now are you going to go by? Do y'all remember the program used to be on uh, Twilight Zone years and years ago? How many remember that program? <laughs> I remember watching that one time, and I know I have a mind that needed to be renewed, but I used to watch that. And one night, they had this program, and everybody was in an operating room. These surgeons were there. The nurses were there. They had masks over their faces. And obviously, you begin to figure out the plot that they had this woman on the table. They were trying to make her beautiful. And the whole program was this surgery that they were doing. And the progress as they were checking themselves during that surgery. And finally at the end, they unveiled this most beautiful lady. And one of them said, oh, how horrible. We have failed. And they ripped their mask off. And they were the most ugly creatures you've ever seen in your life. And a little statement came up on the screen. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> Now, somebody asks you how beautiful you are, how handsome you are, that's a matter of your opinion as, com as a comprised with somebody or as compared to somebody else's opinion. Well, it's the same way when you ask somebody, how wise are you? You see, wisdom is a quality that cannot be evaluated so quickly and so effectively. 
what man calls wisdom is foolishness to God. A man can deceive himself quickly in this area by thinking himself to be wise. Now, to get it back in the context, the Apostle Paul, still in the context of an immature church at Corinth who would rather attach themselves to men than attach themselves to Christ, having already told them that God works through all men, not just preachers, and therefore they should attach themselves to Jesus so that God can work through them and one day will test those works by fire. Then he warns those who would corrupt the church. And I think he still has this in mind as we go into our text, this, 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 this message. After warning those who seek to corrupt the church, to defile it, to bring it to a worsened state, particularly by the means of deception, now he warns them, do not deceive yourselves. Look at verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise. Now you see that that's for any man, any man, Christian, non-Christian, whoever. It's a warning. And Christians, beware of self-deception. Anyone can fall into this trap. Now, three things that I want to show you tonight concerning this self-deception. First of all, the cause of this self-deception. What causes a person to deceive himself? Verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise. The word for deceive is another one of those harder to say words. Ekapateo. <laughs> I think I said that right. From ek out of. Apateo, to seduce or to deceive. In other words, to lead out of the right way, the truth, and to lead into error. Actually, in this sense of the word, to actually walk out of truth and to walk over into error. It's a present active imperative verb. Present tense means it's a pursuit, not just a one-time thing. A person who always seems to be prone to go this way. Active voice is by his own volition. Nobody made him do it. However, he may have been deceived to go that way, but he made his own choice. And now he's headed that direction. Imperative here means it's a command. Don't do this, in other words. Don't be a person like this. Don't be a person who constantly pursues the wrong way, walking out of truth and walking into error. Self-deception is something that's different from being deceived by someone else. Now you can be deceived into self-deception if you're not careful. But self-deception is what you do to yourself. Now, if self-deception is being lured out from under truth into error, what is it that's so magnetic and so attractive that would cause believers to go that direction? Well, we know, first of all, that it's a common thing to all of us. Whatever it is, it's common to all of us. He said, if any man among you, this can happen to anybody. It's something that every one of us have to deal with. Secondly, it involves how we think of ourselves. He says, if any man among you thinks, the word think there is a present indicative active of dokeo. Here it has the idea of one's personal concept of himself. If he's walking around with this mindset of himself. So be careful. There's a mindset involved here. It's the way you think from within concerning yourself. Thinks what? If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age. Now here it is. That's the main characteristic of self-deception. 
thinking you are wise in this age. The word for age is the word eon. Sometimes it's translated world, but that's wrong. World is cosmos. It has something else to say, and that'll be in a later verse. It's the word eon. And eon means there's ages within ages. And each age has specific characteristics about it. It's the way the world thinks and the way they think during this age. And all of the characteristics of all of the ages are similar here. All of it has the same basic likeness. It involves the way of the, we think of ourselves as being wise. And when we buy into this mindset, when we start thinking of ourselves the way the world thinks of itself, look out, we have walked out from under truth and we have walked into error. Now, Paul has already discussed the trap called worldly wisdom that is characteristic to every age. Again, has to do with the way the world thinks of itself. Look back in chapter one, verse 19. Let's just make sure we've done our homework here. He's already addressed this. This is the way the world thinks of themselves. They proclaim themselves to be wise, Roman says, and therefore they became fools. In verse 19 of chapter one, it says, for it is written, I will destroy. And by the way, the word destroy here is the word apolumi. Remember I told you this morning there were two words and the word translated destroy in verse 19 is really not destroy. And so we see it again tonight. It's verse, or verse 17 rather. It's the word corrupt there. But this is a different word over here in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. That's chapter one, verse 19. God said, I'll destroy it. I mean, I'll totally annihilate it. Then he calls it a, 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 the wisdom of the age in verse 20 of chapter one. This way the world thinks of themselves, he calls it the wisdom of the age. Where is the wise man, he says? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And the word for world is eon, the wisdom of this age. Has God not made it foolish? So he calls it the wisdom of the age. It's also the same as fleshly wisdom. If you want to know what he's saying here, wise as the world is wise, it's a fleshly wisdom. It's how they think of themselves, not how God thinks of them, how they think of themselves. Look in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, and so what we see here then is a wisdom of this age, a wisdom of the world, a wisdom of the flesh, a fleshly wisdom. And Paul is saying this is deceptive because this is something that they think of themselves not based on how God thinks of them, but how they think of themselves. Ask them, are you wise? They'll tell you in a minute, yes, I'm wise. And Paul says, don't fall into that trap. Now, the topics that Paul has been talking about in the context, he's talked about wisdom, he's talking about teaching, he's talking about the works that man does. Now, doing these things can lead to a worldly pride. Be careful. The more you learn, in, in, in other words, of what you study, all of a sudden you can become wise in your own estimation based on what you think now you know. Or it could be proud of what you've done. God could have enabled you to do great things and used you in powerful ways, but somehow you adopted the world's thinking and you think you're somebody because that has taken place. You may be proud of what you have. God may have blessed you in a very successful manner in the world and you think you did that yourself and you become proud as the world would view wisdom of this kind. Now, buying into this kind of wisdom is the epitome of self-deception. 
And that's what Paul is trying to help them to understand. It will cost you in your reward one day. It'll cost you one day when God tests all of our work by fire. It will not stand because this is fleshly wisdom. And these are people out there that are trying to corrupt us and defile us. And the way they do it is that they come across with their way of thinking. And if you buy into it, it's going to be the epitome of that self-deception. It was obviously the trap that was set for the Corinthian believers. You know, let's just illustrate this for a minute. Maybe you take a Bible study course. Maybe you're in precept. You take a Bible study course. And all of a sudden, you've got all this knowledge in your head. Man, are you ever biblically literate? And you come across as if, man, I'm a smart person. I'm a wise person. Why, I've been in precept. You have found, you have fallen into the very trap Paul is warning them against. Because you will don't know anything unless you're living it. And if you're living it, it's God giving you understanding. And you never boast in what you know. You boast in what God has revealed to your heart. So you can easily fall into this trap. You can adopt the world's way of thinking when it comes to wisdom, when it comes to pride. You think you know something as a result of all of that. Perhaps God has used you in something else. Maybe you've been on a mission trip. Maybe you're a pastor. Maybe there's a congregation that has grown large because of your being there. But one day you fall into the trap. And the trap is from within, you start thinking that you are indispensable. You are the one that built this church. And I'll tell you what, folks, that is rampant in the day that we're living in. They're having conferences all over our country of how you can build a church, how you can do it, how you can organize it, what you do, this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and how you can have a great congregation. But it has nothing to do with man's wisdom. It's what God does. God's the one who builds his church. Man cannot build his church. All man can do is attract a crowd. God builds his church. But you can fall into the trap of estimating your wisdom based on what has, you can see and count and feel rather than how God looks at a matter. In the first century in Corinth, all you had to do was to insult a Greek was to question his wisdom. The Greeks were those who were proud of their wisdom. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul was perfect to be in the slot that God put him in because he was born as a Greek and he understood that mentality and he had the intelligence to how to deal with it. But all you had to do to insult them was to question their wisdom. A Greek would rather be poor than stupid. He'd rather be a criminal than be known as a fool. The Corinthians were proud of their wisdom. But now look what the Apostle Paul is doing here. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, don't fall into that trap. He is a Greek. He understands the way they think. And he's saying the height of self-deception is to consider yourself wise in the age in which you live. Now, before we leave this, look in chapter 3 and verse 19. Chapter 3 and verse 19. I want to show you he changes a word here. He uses another word for world. Instead of yon, which is age, he uses another word. In 1 Corinthians 3, 19, he says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. Now, the word for world here is the word cosmos. Cosmos is different from yon. Yon should be translated age. and has a different meaning altogether. Cosmos, however, has to do, and I'm going to simplify it, with the material things of this world that we live within. You see, the people of the world, when they're wise according to the world, and that's called foolishness by God, 
They base their wisdom on that which they can see, that which they can count. In other words, a man is considered to be wise if he's made a lot of money in this world. And he thinks himself to be wise if he's done that. The Ted Turners, the people who are the billionaires who can laugh and make mockery of the church, but they call themselves wise and they say, I know I'm wise. Look at the kingdom that I've built. You can see it. You can count it. You can read my bank account, you see. How they made things, how, how, but how many things have they really done? You see, God is the one who has actually done it. They think they have done these things. They, they count themselves by how others think of them. Look at athletes. It's amazing to me how we do this. You get an athlete who Christ, becomes a Christian and immediately we throw him on nationwide television to give his testimony when that man has not even been up under the authority of the word of God and doesn't have a clue about what he's doing and all kinds of things can come out of his mouth. But we look at him as a hero. We think he's wise. Why? Because of what he's done in sports. Not the way God looks at him, but the way man looks at him. That's the wisdom of the world. And they look at it that way. If you can't see something that you can put your hands on, then you must not be a wise person as the world views wisdom. By how many degrees one has. <laughs> I loved Vance Havner. I wish he would have lived longer. He's in heaven today. He wouldn't come back just for coming and speak to our church, but I wish we could have gotten him. He died on me. I could just kill him. <laughs> but he, he was so witty. The man was such a, a pure man and he lived in the word and loved the Lord and he never got a driver's license, by the way. And he had all kinds, he's talking about people have these degrees. He said, I speak with these people who have a, a DD and a PhD and an LD and all this kind of thing. He says, you know, it's a bunch of fiddle DDs, if you ask me. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, there are people that are so proud of those degrees. When you walk into their offices, all you see is platinum thing. And that's not wrong to put them on the wall. But some people think they're wise because of that degree. They can see it. They went to school. They paid the money. They passed the course. I'm wise according to the world. And God said, that kind of wisdom is nothing more than foolishness before God. When a man from within himself thinks himself to be wise based on the standard of the material, the standard of what you can see and touch and feel, that man is a foolish man. And, and Paul is warning the church, warning the believer, don't fall into this kind of self-deception. I'm so grateful to hear from our brother from Yugoslavia. I have another friend in another Eastern European country and their church grew very large after the revolution. And all of a sudden when I met him the next time, I began to sense pride in his life. I began to sense something I didn't sense before. Back under persecution, back when they were suffering, I sensed a humility. I sensed a, a desperation to get a hold of God. But then when I met him several months after the revolution, I had known him for years. I began to pick up that he's fallen into the trap that you and I can fall into. Success must mean we're wise. No, it does not. And that what Paul, is what Paul is saying. Many people, the lure, the attractiveness out here is that I can look to myself as being wise. And the accolades of people can make me think, wow, I really know something. I've done something, etc." Man, I'll tell you what, that's the epitome of self-deception. 
Don't deceive yourself by walking into their trap. Don't start looking to what you know, what you've done, and what you have, and considering yourself wise because of it. Friend, the world looks at wisdom differently than God looks at it. And God calls the world's wisdom foolishness. Well, the cause of it is when the lure of it, I guess you could say, the, the reason we're attracted to it is because our flesh loves it. Our flesh loves it. One of the things that Diana has done for me over the years has kept me humble. <laughs> I think that's her mission in life. She's done a good job. I'll go off in a conference somewhere and you know, people are just so nice to you and kind to you for the things you say and the things you do. And you get on a plane coming back home and you're thinking, oh, that's great. Boy, God, you really blessed. But in a way, there's that subtle thinking, wow, man, I'm really doing some good stuff for God. And I'll get home, walk in the house and dine. <laughs> Wayne, will you take the garbage out? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing how fast she brings my feet back to the ground. It helps me understand that if anything good took place out there, she lives with me and she knows what I'm not. And it had to be God. And don't you dare think yourself wise in the midst of all that's going on. I'll tell you what, when you start thinking yourself wise as the world considers themselves wise, what happens is you're, you're literally using now the wrong materials to build the building for which one day will be judged by fire and it won't last. It will not stand. So whatever God has done, whatever you have, whatever you know because of God's revealing it by the precious Holy Spirit's power, give God the glory back and say, I would never have known it had it not been for God. Because if you fall in that trap of worldly wisdom, it'll defeat the very purpose for which God has come to live in your life. So the cause of self-deception, but then secondly, the cure for self-deception. Maybe you've fallen into that trap. I've fallen into it. All of us are, 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 are susceptible to it because it's so magnetic, the lure of the way the people think rather than what God thinks. In verse 18, he says, let no man deceive himself if, now, maybe it has, if any man, hypothetical, any man among you thinks he is wise in this age. Now somebody evidently fell in this trap. He thinks he's wise. Bless his heart. Let him become foolish that he may become wise. Look at the phrase, let him become foolish. The word become is aorist imperative of genome. It means become, properly translated there, become. Has the sense of, of just do it. The aorist there has the sense of just do it. Stop talking about it. Make up your mind. You know the truth. Now just do it. You become foolish. You do it. Middle voice, it's middle deponent really has the active sense. Make up your own mind. Don't make somebody tell you. You know good and well that this kind of thing is human wisdom and that's foolishness to God. Now you become foolish. Now what does become foolish mean? <laughs> you know, it sounds like what I did when I went to college. I made a conscious choice to become foolish. <laughs> and so I didn't get a degree until I was 25. They had to retire me. And uh, that sounds like what some people would think. You become foolish. Now, now wait a minute. The context will rule here. The word foolish is the word moros. We get the word moron from. Is that exciting? The context rules. Foolish, now look, as the world, as the world would view foolishness. In other words, whoa now, 
When you step off that pedestal, the world's going to call you a fool. What do you mean, man? You know you did it. I mean, give God a little bit of the credit, but you know you did. That's the way the world thinks. But when you become foolish, it means as they see foolish, God will see it as wise, but the world will see it as foolish. You must admit the foolishness of ever thinking you're anything outside of Christ. You've got to come to that place. And I'll tell you, that's a humbling thing in our life, isn't it? To come to the place that we, <laughs> we're nothing outside of Him. We know nothing outside of Him. We have nothing outside of Him. We can do nothing outside of Him. And to admit that before others. You know, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 10, he talks of him and his compadres. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. Paul said that. Now, do you know that Paul was the most intelligent man and, and other than Jesus, probably in the whole New Testament? He could, he could woo a crowd. You're talking about a man that could draw a crowd. Remember, we looked at this back in chapter 1. He, he at one time, was, he, they thought he was one of the gods the particular God that was the voice of all the gods because he had such a speaking ability. And when he spoke, they said, oh, the gods have come to visit us. Paul was an intelligent man. Paul had that Socratean method of reasoning and he, he would come in amongst them and, and wouldn't threaten them right off. He wouldn't tell them where he was going. He'd kind of come up alongside them and say, hey, this is great. And then he'd start asking questions and he would lead them to come to the conclusion and he would never have to say another word by asking the right questions at the right time. A brilliant man could handle any kind of situation. And yet he calls himself a fool for Christ. You see, he understood something now that he didn't understand before. For years of his life, he thought the message of Christ was foolish. As a matter of fact, to show you how foolish he thought it was, he was out to defeat and kill Christians. He stood there when Stephen was stoned to death. And then he was on his way to Damascus, breathing threats against those he would arrest in Damascus. But he got arrested on the Damascus road. And God met with him and blinded him for three days. And bless his heart, after those three days, he was never the same. Never the same. I mean, here's a man who was wise in his own estimation. A man that religion had, had really helped him profit and got, he had a lot of gain because of it. But now that he's a Christian... Now that he's met Christ, he realizes how foolish he really was all of that time. And now he calls himself a fool for Christ's sake. Turn away from thinking yourself wise in the standards of the world and the flesh. You start doing that by realizing how everything you have is nothing more than a blessing that comes from God. Everything you can do is nothing more than what God energized you to do by his spirit living in you. Everything that you have, everything you know, everything that you do, all of it comes from him. The wisdom of the world, the way it thinks of itself, hey, look what I've done. Look at my stock market receipts. Look at my investments. Look how they've paid off. Hey, man, I'm a wise man in this world. And God says, baloney. That's foolish. I'll tell you how foolish it is and how quickly you can see it. I was asked to go visit a man when I was down in Mississippi I was, I was working as an associate pastor. And they asked me to go to the hospital. This man had, had died on the table. And I don't understand all that, what that means. I think it means his heart had stopped. But they said he had died. Now, whether he had or not and all those kinds of things, I haven't worked it out in my understanding yet. But his heart had stopped several times. They brought him back. And they said he has, he's crying out for somebody to come and see him. I walked in the room wondering what I would say, praying. I said, God, help me. I don't know what to say to this man. This man was a very wealthy, successful 
man in that area. A man that the community looked at as a wise man because of what he had been able to accomplish in his life. And I walked in and he said, are you a preacher? <laughs> First thing, I didn't say anything. I said, yes, sir. He said, will you come over here and tell me how to get saved? <laughs> you know, I love the way God works things like, you know, I, I was worried about what I was going to say. I was going through all the verses and here, here he is and the door's open. You could drive a Mack truck sideways through it. And I said, well, <laughs> okay. He said, preacher, before you do anything, I want to tell you something. I could, say, I could right now write you a check for whatever you wanted me to write it for. I was thinking, well, I got a, some suggestions. <laughs> I could write this check to you. But he said, for the first time in my life, I understand the futility of anything this world offers. I'm on this table and I can do absolutely nothing for myself except to cry out to my master and receive Christ into my heart. That's all I can do for that's the only wise thing that a man can do. And I'll tell you what, folks, when you get down to that point, you'll find out how ridiculous the wisdom of the world is. Who do they cry out to when somebody's dying? Who do they call out to when somebody's hurting? They call somebody that's a Christian, somebody that's a member of God's people on this earth. But until that comes, they never sense even a need for it. But God has a way of letting them see what's foolish and what's wise, what's eternal and what's temporary. So the way the world thinks of itself, the standards by which they come to the opinions that they have formed of themselves, don't fall into that trap. It can happen to you in a moment. It can happen to you when good things happen in your life, but you have adopted from within. Nobody told you this, but you adopted it from within. Wow, I must be wise. And you have adopted the very philosophy of the world by saying what you say. You see, only what God does ever counts in our life. And that's what will be rewarded one day when we have our work tested by fire. Then thirdly, the caution for the self-deceived. A caution for those who have been self-deceived. They need to understand a principle about God, a truth about God that will help them down the road. It says in verse 19, for the wisdom of, the world, of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about? Well, when one thinks himself to be wise, this has come from within. And I want to make sure you understand, a man loves what he is much more than what he has. And if this wisdom is not from God, then all that he thinks he is is foolishness when put next to God. A man must humble himself, admit what he does not know before he can become wise before God. Now, for the wisdom of this world, verse 19, is foolishness before God. The word for before there is the word para. It's the word that means in the closest proximity to someone. In other words, when you take all the wisdom of the world and you put it over here as close as you can get it to God, next to him and to his wisdom, it's absolute foolishness, you see. And therefore, it, it will not stand the test. What the world thinks of itself and its wisdom is foolishness next to God. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. Now what he does here, he quotes out of Job chapter 5 and verse 13. Remember Job's life was quite a different, difficult time. 
He quotes out of Job. And there's a principle in this that shows you how man's wisdom is really foolishness when it comes to dealing with God. The word catches is only used here in the New Testament. It's the verb drasome. It is in the present tense. Now, this tells you something about the character of God. The word means that he seizes, he catches, he grasps by the hand, he lays hold of, or you could say he traps in his net. The verse implies that this seizing, this grabbing hold of, this trapping in his net, catching, is part of the character of God because it's present tense. He's always doing this. He's about this all the time. Now what, what is he saying here? This is really interesting to me. You see, he sees the wise in their own estimation. He knows who they are in the world's wisdom. And he quickly moves to seize him in his hand to expose him. Now these, this craftiness here really speaks of a lost person because a lost person is just a crafty person. He may be wise in the world's eyes, but he is underhanded. He will use methods that a Christian would never use in business. He'll do whatever he can do to cheat the income tax to get his money. That's the way the world gets their things and that's why they proclaim themselves to be wise. But God knows that. And God is watching the crafty. He knows what they're doing. And it's like a crafty scoundrel or a criminal that's arrested. God arrests him. He grabs him. Then exposes him and punishes him accordingly. In other words, God does not allow the world to get away with what they call their worldly wisdom. That's part of his character. He moves quickly to do that. It, it is crafty reasoning by which the wise put their deceitful wisdom across and rob men's souls of Christ and they rob believers of their reward one day in heaven. Now remember he said, look out for the ones who seek to corrupt my people. We talked about that the last message. How do they do it? These are those crafty people. They can lure you into their trap, all oh, folks, in a minute. I remember one year, Diane and I had just gotten out of debt. That's only happened a couple times in my life. <laughs> that immediately tells you I didn't learn much the first time. If it's happened twice, then evidently, what did you learn the first time? But this was one of those times we were out of debt. And I'm hopefully, in the near future, next 25 years, I'll be out again. But we had just gotten out of debt. All the things that they told me that I, that I really wanted, really nobody had to tell me. I wanted this and I wanted that, you know, and, and, I, and I went out and bought it most of the time on a credit card or whatever, and it just built up, built up, built up, and as a, as a result, we were in huge debt, but finally we were able to get out. On that very day, we were going out witnessing from our church at the place I was serving at that time, and we drove up in this man's yard. I was, I was assigned a certain man, and everybody told me, said, you'll never get anywhere with this guy. So I drive up in his driveway and get out of the car and the guy's outside watering his yard. And he sees me and he says, Wayne Barber. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. He said, I've been looking for you. You're just the man I wanted to see. <laughs> oh no, there's something fishy about this whole plot. We walk inside and he was a part of a certain organization. And I won't get into all that because it's really not wrong in itself. But he was a part of this thing to where you could get many people and you could make a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he had brochures of what I could have and all this kind of thing. And I could be financially free, et cetera. But I was already financially free. And he started telling me all these things that I could have. And when, he, when I had to finally stop him, I said, sir, 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 sir. I said, if you'd have caught me 10 months ago, I'd have jumped all over this. But I want you to know, finally, for the first time in my life, I've just been cut free from all that stuff. And he said, do what? You don't want any of that stuff? I said, no, I don't want it. 
Because when you have it, it costs you more than you ever dreamed that you was going to pay for it. You never have it. It owns you. And he looked at me like totally perplexed. I said, matter of fact, I came over here to offer you something way beyond that. And I came over here to share Jesus Christ with you. His wife was sitting in the room and boy, he just turned his whole body away from me. You now people do when you're talking to them. They don't want to hear you. I mean, he just turned away from me. His little wife though didn't. Boy, she was sitting over there with big old tears in her eyes. She had been beat to death and in some of the schemes that this guy had had because he's going to be the richest guy to ever live. And I looked over at her and I said, ma'am, I said, can I speak to your wife? Is it okay? He said, sure. And I said, I sense that you're listening to what I'm saying. Would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? She said, could I right now? And I said, can you? <laughs> and boy, she got down on her knees and I got down on my knees with her on the floor and she began to pray and she broke. I, you know, folks, if you've never led somebody to Jesus, you have missed one of the greatest experiences of your life. It's not really you leading them to Jesus. It's Jesus using you to draw them. But if you've never been a part of that, and boy, she began to pray, and I could tell that had tenderized her old husband sitting over there, that old hard thing. And after she finished, I looked over at him, and boy, I could see the mistiness in his eyes. And I said, hey, would you like to receive Christ? He said, man, could I? He got down on his knees beside his wife and received the Lord. And I thought, isn't that the most interesting thing in the world? He already had his scheme. He already had his plan. But God was way ahead of me. And as we walked in there... God showed him that what he was pursuing wasn't worth anything, wasn't worth pursuing. But what God could offer him was worth everything in his life. But I want to warn you, there are people in this world, and listen, they sound good. And they've got a wonderful scheme of how to get you into whatever it is they're trying to lure you into. But if it gets you off track from your simplicity of trusting Christ, from your simplicity of living by faith, you have fallen into the trap that Paul is warning the church of Corinth about. Corinth was famous for this kind of thing. And he was warning them, look out, they're crafty. They know what they're doing. Be careful. Don't let them lure you into their trap. It's crafty reasoning of the wise in this world. The one the people look up to. The ones that are on the channel that talks about instant success stories it's the craftiness of these people that lure precious believers out of a faith walk in trusting Christ and obeying Him into that which the world calls wise and God calls foolish. But the fact is, God catches these people in their craftiness, in all of their schemes. He exposes them. And by the fact that He catches them like He does and exposes them like He does is the factual evidence that His wisdom completely outranks theirs. And nothing is more convincing than that. God will show you, give him time, he will show you the futility of what the world says is wise. He'll catch them in his net, expose them, and then their punishment will be as a result of what has been exposed in their life. The verb drasome implies speedy action. He seizes the opportunity. When he somebody, sees somebody working in worldly wisdom and craftiness, he seizes the opportunity to immediately move on that person. Normally, he'll allow them to go ahead and do what they're doing. So once they have sinned, he'll use that sin, turn it right back against them, expose them, and bring them down from their platform they put themselves upon. God's net catches man in his fleshly wisdom. And he wants the Corinthians to understand this. 
so that they'll realize that these people in Corinth that are trying to lure them into this type of thinking, these people are already caught by God. So why in the world would you want to go that route? You'll be caught also. But come back to living and walking by faith. And they will have no excuse before God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 20, he quotes out of Psalms. Now, in verse 19, he quoted out of Job. But in chapter 3 and verse 20 of 1 Corinthians, he quotes out of Psalm 94 and verse 11. Now look at this. He says, and again, the Lord knows the reasonings, now that's an interesting word there, of the wise, that they are useless. Now when the world has somebody out there that they build up and they say, whoa, this man, now he is wise. God knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. Now, God knows the logic. God knows the intelligence man thinks he has before man ever does anything. Before he even has to move to catch him in his net, God already knows what he's planning to do. And God knows how ineffectual it really is. The word useless is the word meaning having no aim, empty of any beneficial result. And the ineffectiveness of these wise men is illustrated, I think, so beautifully in the Gospels when the Pharisees, by their schemes and their plots and their tricky questions, tried to trap Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus had already trapped them because he knew their schemes. He knew their logic and he knew it was useless and it had no, no end to it. And so therefore he would turn it around they would try to trap him every time he would turn around. They tried to trap him. The only reason they ever asked him a question was to trap him. But Jesus already knew that. And therefore, Jesus would turn a question back to them in one or two words. Make them look stupid before the whole crowd. Showing everybody that his wisdom is far beyond the wisdom of what man says is wise. God's wisdom exposes the world's wise men as fools. Paul wants the Corinthians to keep it, that in mind. And you know what? There may be an application here. I'm not sure. I haven't really sat on it long enough and meditated on it long enough, but I think there's an application here because I know in my own personal experience, when I have fallen into that trap, God moves quickly to expose me, quickly to even if he has to humiliate or embarrass me to show me the futility of going that way. And I, I thank him for doing that and I wonder if it's not an application even of what he's saying right here. Because the wisdom of the world is something God detests. And if we're not going to live by faith, God quickly moves to expose those who try to work in their own wisdom. Well, whether it is found in your own mind of how you think of yourself, or maybe in the teachers you've attached yourself to, whatever, the world's wisdom is foolishness in God's eyes. It's a trap. Don't be self-deceived. Don't allow yourself to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Never brag on what you have. Never brag on what you can do. Never brag about what you know because that has nothing to do with eternity and God looks at all of it and says you would not know anything if it was not for me. Look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. From time to time, we've brought up this verse. It's such a precious verse. It just shows you the tendencies of man the wisdom of the world, but again, how foolish it really is. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23. <clears throat> and really verse 24 has to be read with it so we'll understand the difference. 
He says in verse 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Now, that's what the world does, but he says, don't you dare do it. Don't you dare do it. Don't boast of what you know. Don't boast in what you can do. And don't boast in what you have. Don't you dare. But in verse 24, look what he says. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. In verse 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first few words say, so let no one boast in men. Now remember the context. Why in the world would you attach yourself to a man? If that man is anything, it's because God made him that way. You attach yourself to Christ and you become a vessel through which Christ can do his work. And remember, don't fall into this trap of thinking you can do anything apart from him. That you can know anything apart from him or that you can have anything apart from him. That kind of wisdom is foolishness and God already has a trap set for you. It's a net that he's going to grab you in and expose that kind of wisdom because his wisdom is far above that which man could ever have. I think a, a, an illustration we might could close this with, it comes out of mythology. It's a myth, but yet at the same time it has a point in it that maybe you could pull it together. One of Aesop's fables tells the story of a lottery that Jupiter, you know, the god Jupiter, little g, held for all the gods. And it happened that when they spun the wheel as to who would win the lottery, it fell upon his daughter, Minerva. And he gave his daughter the prize, which was wisdom. But some of the people who were standing around said, hold it, hold it, hold it. How convenient that the wheel fell on your daughter. It was rigged, it was rigged. And so Jupiter, to appease the crowd and the doubters, instead of awarding her wisdom, awarded her folly. And the myth says from that time on, fools thought of themselves as the wisest among men. Take that home and chew on it. Because friend, when a person thinks he's wise, he is a fool. When he boasts of anything other than Christ, he is a fool. He's a man who thinks of himself a way that God does not see him. Don't fall into that trap. That's why we have to live by faith, trusting God minute by minute, because we know nothing can do nothing apart from that which he reveals and that which he energizes in our life. Therefore, the building that we're building will be the right kind, will stand the test of God's judgment one day. And one day we'll not be ashamed when we stand before him. Well, I hope 1 Corinthians is ministering to you like it is to me. I had never studied this book before, but wow, has it ever been a blessing to my life. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.